high short kick that is going to come up and bounce at the 20. Rutgers has a chance to recover it, and they do! What a play by the Scarlet Knights! Get it to Harper with three, with two, with one. Harper for the win! Got it! Down and 10 at the 21. Wimson hands it off. It's Benunga getting to the corner left. 20, 15, catching to 10. Benunga down near the goal line. He is in! Touchdown, Rutgers! Now with six. Baker making his move with five. Step back three for the lead. All right, welcome back to the Scarlet Faithful Podcast. I'm Aaron Brightman, and it's my pleasure to welcome in Rutgers senior Alec Crothamel, who does it all with Rutgers sports coverage, rivals, WRSU, the Daily Targum, uh, has a podcast both for football and basketball with Big Banter Sports, also a longstanding member of the Riot Squad. Alec, been wanting to have you on for a long time. Thanks for being here. Yeah, thank you for having me. And uh, yeah, I, I, I guess you could say I keep myself pretty busy around Rutgers. Absolutely. And uh, definitely a good time to be around uh, in terms of uh, the many programs, uh, in terms of the trajectory right now with the Big Ten. Let's start with football. Uh, some news not too long ago, uh, this being Tuesday, December 19th, Robert Longerbeam being the 10th uh, senior to announce the return for the 2024 season, bolstering what is already a strong core returning for the defense uh, next season. We have uh, Aaron Lewis, Wesley Bailey, Mo Ture, Tyreen Powell, Dixon, and now longer being back for the Rutgers defense, in addition to Kyle Manungai, Holland Pierce, Brian Felter, and Christian Dremel. Quite a haul in terms of the retention. What are your overall thoughts just in terms of Rutgers being able to bring back so many quality starters from this season? Yeah, I think it definitely raises the floor of next year's team for sure. I mean, bringing back that many starters, all the continuity that you're bringing back is just huge for the chemistry and the culture that this program is building. And I think it also speaks to, you know, we saw Kirk Shiraka and Joe Harris and me, I talked about this yesterday, the culture that Greg Shiano is building at Rutgers, you know, the fact that they're able to bring back so many guys and, you know, even though they lost Max Melton, it seemed like that was kind of a given, even coming into the season, the amount of guys that they brought back is huge. And, you know, Robert Longerbeam, for a good stretch of the season, now we know we now know that Max Melton was dealing with a broken hand. Robert Longerbeam looked like the best cornerback on this team. You know, he was played very well down the stretch, especially in the beginning of that Big Ten slate. So it's just huge, and all the amount of guys that they're bringing back too. It's just it's it's huge for this team, especially since you know, we're already seeing some upgrades in the transfer portal too. Getting Demir Miller from Monmouth, and bring, in addition to bringing back everyone else, it really seems like things are set up. Uh, especially not playing against Michigan, Ohio State, or Penn State next year to have, you know, to build on this bowl season. Yes, absolutely. Uh, certainly important. I think, you know, one thing about next season that I think it's overplayed a little bit is even though the East and West divisions are going away, uh, you even look at Indiana, Michigan State, what they're doing with their new coaches, um, and then the Pac-12 teams coming in, it's still a difficult schedule. Uh, it's never going to be easy in the Big Ten. And I think what you said was perfect in terms of raising the floor. Um, I, I guess my thoughts are how much better do you think the team can be with all these guys coming back? Or is it more about stability, you know, not taking a step back necessarily more than it is about taking one or two steps forward? I think it is about not taking that step back because, you know, let's say you have this season that you're having right now, making the bowl game for the first time in nine years, and all the guys that are actually coming back end up leaving. Then what do you do? You got to fill up all the holes and 
not start from scratch, but it definitely makes it a lot more difficult to follow that up. But now you're able to follow that up, plus, you know, even make a couple of upgrades here and there in the transfer portal and whatnot. So being able to have that stability and also bringing back both coordinators, you know, both Harris Simiak and Shiraka and head coach Greg Schiano sign, all signed extensions. So just being able to keep that floor uh, up high is big, you know, and, and like I said, you know, they're not playing the Michigan, Ohio state, Penn state uh, gauntlet, but there's still some tough teams there. You know, USC just got Will Rogers from Kansas state, you know, Washington, um, I believe I, they got a transfer quarterback. I'm blanking on which one, um, but either way, you know, these are not going to be pushover games. So having that stability and even when some of the other teams are undergoing such a big transition, like you mentioned, Indiana, Michigan state with the new coaches, it seems like USC is, you know, teetering between free fall and resurgence right now. Washington's losing Michael Penix jr. Who led them to the playoff this year. Now it's just, regaining that stability is definitely so important, especially for a, a program that prides itself on the culture and keeping that culture around is definitely huge. Yeah. Great point for sure. And I did have to look it up in your defense. Uh, Will Rogers uh, from Mississippi state, the quarterback that just committed to Washington, which, you know, a lot of people were saying Washington's going to take a step back without Penix, but uh, certainly a, a big ad for them. And I think even, you know, teams, Illinois, Minnesota, I mean, there, there's no, there's no locks on that schedule, right? I think a big part of it too is staying healthy and continuing to build depth. And that was my concern with this team is if they did have a lot of plugs, to, uh, holes to plug with guys leaving, uh, it's really hard to add to depth now where I think all these seniors coming back, uh, can they, uh, in terms of player development in the spring and the off season, build that depth where we hope it needs to be, to be able to not have kind of that November, even though the schedule is very difficult this year. Uh, every year we've seen this team kind of get worn down in the last month. Tailoring to that question, how much do you expect them to respond now uh, next week in the Pinstripe Bowl, having a month to get healthy uh, and having all, all the positive news of so many guys coming back and now playing in this game? Yeah, I really think it's going to propel them, honestly, because, you know, all these guys are coming back. I think the assumption is that they're going to play in the bowl game as well. So that's obviously a huge boost, too, um, especially considering Miami is down to their, I believe, a true freshman or redshirt freshman quarterback right now. You know, Tyler Van Dyke already left. I think he's headed to Wisconsin. So that's definitely going to give him a boost. And, you know, just having that culture around them and even just, you know, on the field, Greg Schiano is one of the best at just, you know, if he has one opponent that he has to focus on, he is the very best, at least that I've seen around, that you know knows how to find every single strength and weakness of a team. Give him time, he will find in and out everything that that team does and what they don't do. And we've seen it since he's, you know, been here, uh, even the first time around. He was always good in bowl games, you know, preparing. Even after, you know, let's say a disappointing finish in 2006, they still got up and, you know, beat the beat the heck out of Kansas State. I know it's a while ago, but still, you know, Greg Schiano is one of the best guys at just, you know, game prep for one opponent. Give him enough time and he will find every single every, every single crevice that a team can possibly have. So, I think they'll be propelled upwards both in, in both ways. Now, that doesn't mean it's a guaranteed win, but it definitely feels like things are trending towards the the right way for Rutgers in that game. Yeah, it's an excellent point about Shiano. Give him a month to prepare, and he typically, uh, you know, is successful in that situation. I also think the cold weather in that game is going to help Rutgers and also be able to run the ball against a defense that was good against the run this year. But like you said, it's definitely depleted in multiple areas. Guys going pro, guys in the transfer portal. Uh, and I just think now it's so important for them. I, I, would, I wouldn't call it a must win, but I do think to be able to make a statement, right, they have legitimate momentum now. Uh, and the 2024 class, which we'll get to in a moment, uh, 
to get a win, get that first winning season in nine years, uh, to be able to have that going into the offseason and carry that into 2025 recruiting and also preparation for 24, I think, is, is really important just for the perception, but also just kind of the positive vibes within the program uh, going into uh, the offseason. Yeah, and that is big. I mean, I, to I guess to steal a line from from our friends of the Are You Screw podcast, just the record, the way it looks, it definitely plays a factor. You know, seven and six looks a lot better than six and seven, and it's just one game in that regard that that can help impact that. So, yeah, I mean, it's going to be big to get a boost, especially considering this is a Miami program that when Mario Cristobal got hired, you know, he came in with a lot of hype, considering the work that he did at Oregon. He's coming back to his alma mater, you know. There were there were times where this program looked like they were really on the upswing, and you know it didn't all work out for them. But they have a pretty strong recruiting class coming in, so you know getting that win over that kind of program, even if they haven't had the best years lately, would still be big. And you know we're still looking for that signature win under Shiano 2.0. This could be a step forward, while you know a pinstripe bowl win over a, over a Miami team that is depleted and probably more evenly matched won't be that signature win. It definitely brings the respect for Rutgers a step further. Definitely. And I think just in terms of, as you said, looking at, at that final record is big, but also, you know, I, I've harped on this a lot, but I think for older fans too, the fact that you see if Rutgers can now go 4-0 against former Big East opponents, I think it just lends to the fact that A, the Big Ten has been a huge plus for the program, but also things have changed quite a bit uh, in the last decade plus since they've gone in, just in terms of the trajectory of the program and what the ACC has done to those schools. So I think that's an important narrative. Also, um, just in terms of the recruiting class, Wednesday is early signing period. Uh, it's, you know, been, it's probably going to be the best recruiting class that Shiano's brought to Rutgers since his return, uh, slid a little bit in the rankings as to be expected, uh, as the, the blue bloods kind of add those five stars late in the game. Um, but overall, what are your impressions of this class and what kind of jumps out to you in terms of either, you know, specific recruits or position or, um, you know, how are you looking at this recruiting class for Rutgers coming in about to sign on Wednesday? It's definitely really encouraging. And yeah, like you mentioned, it, it definitely slipped a little bit once those top teams really got their momentum going. It probably wasn't going to stay top 20 the entire way. And uh, according to rivals, I think it's at, yeah, it's at 35 right now. So, you know, obviously still, still very good. Um, some of the guys that definitely stick out, obviously the four stars, you know, Kaj Sanders and KJ Duff, you know, those are the big play talents. Uh, Sanders, the defensive back. Uh, for, from uh, from Bergen Catholic and then Duff out, out of New York. Whether he plays wide receiver or tight end, I'm not really so sure yet, but he definitely has some of the skills to play both positions, especially with the size. I guess one of the more underrated guys I'm looking out for is Benjamin Black. Uh, the guy is a legit speedster, you know, track star. We just got that with Demir Miller. Maybe we could see that with Benjamin Black down the road. There was a bit of a push in the end from North Carolina State, but it really seems like they held that off. So definitely a lot to, definitely a lot to like with Benjamin Black. Um, one of those guys out of North Carolina. And I guess big picture, something that really stuck out is just the, um, I guess the, the way that this class shaped out in terms of locations, you know, everyone's talking about Syracuse right now and how they're bringing in all the New Jersey guys. But Shiano has said that his state of Rutgers is state of his, his mantra, the state of Rutgers is going nationwide. Now, you know, he's mentioned places like Georgia where they got um, Antonio white from, and then you got somewhere like North Carolina where, you know, you got Noah Shaw, uh, you got Benjamin black, you know, guys like that, you know, they're really looking all over the place, even Michigan and Wisconsin into Big Ten territory. So being able to build on that momentum is big. And um, I guess someone else to look out for that seems like a bit of uh, I, I don't want to say underrated or I guess under 
undervalued is now they got an offensive lineman commit by the name of Carter Cato uh, from Middleton, Wisconsin, same high school as Sam Piloff, another guy who's committed to Rutgers, who I also really like. Um, he kind of came out of nowhere. He came to one of the camps back in May, and he impressed uh, he impressed the coaching staff well enough that, that he came in as a tight end, but they offered him as an offensive lineman. So I guess we'll see. I, I don't know what kind of impact he'll make once he gets here. Probably not too much of an impact in his freshman year, but I'm intrigued to see what he can do once he you know gets that Big Ten strength training and builds up you know, to becoming a, an offensive lineman because apparently they like the way he moves, um, which is always good, especially in, in a in some a kind of a zone uh, run blocking scheme that you know Kirk Shiraka likes to run. So I'm kind of excited for some of those guys, but I'm very excited to see this class here because it feels like there's a lot of uh, talent that may be undervalued by you know other places or anything like that. So uh, definitely a lot of excitement from this class. Yeah, great points there. And uh, it's interesting because the composite ranking on 24-7 sports is still at 34, but their overall rank on 24-7 sports is 43rd. Uh, on three, it's 50, 59th. Um, but the composite is still really good. We'll see where it shakes out after Wednesday. But I agree with you. I think, you know, speed is something that they've desperately needed, and I think they've got a lot of it in this class. And I think just they've they've raised the bar Talent-wise, it's just now about developing those guys and being able to add to the depth. That, you know, the receivers, we talked about a little bit. This last class in 23, that so many young receivers come in. Uh, this class, you know, uh, a lot of guys on defense that I think can make an impact sooner rather than later. So it's going to be interesting to see. I, I love that you brought up Syracuse. I was going to ask you about that as well. Uh, you know, if you go on uh, with uh, if you go at your own risk on the Rutgers Facebook fan pages, uh, people are freaking out right now. Um, I, I think it's kind of funny. I think people forget that, you know, that that first year coaches always get a recruiting bump. Um, and in the end of the day, at least as of right now, Rutgers hasn't taken anyone that Rutgers has has, uh, you know, committed, has has received commitments from. And you brought up the great point that Rutgers is even more, uh, you know, recruiting from a national scale than they ever have before. So they're not as uh, reliant on New Jersey. What are your overall thoughts about the fervor with Syracuse, Fran Brown, and kind of how it's going to impact Rutgers recruiting long term? Yeah, it's tough because obviously there's a ton of hype, like you said. The first-year coach is always going to get hype. I, but it's been talked about a lot. Like the coaching staff, I don't think they any of them have called a single play uh, anywhere. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens when they actually play the games. Um, obviously getting Kyle McCord is big, but is he going to have that same infrastructure around him where Ryan Day is one of the best quarterback coaches uh, in, in all the country? You know, the offensive line was not as good as, you know, it was, it, it should have been, but you know, there's still an Ohio state offensive line. And then you got guys like Julian Fleming and Emeka Ibuka and Marvin Harrison jr. To throw to. So I'm interested to see what happens once they actually play the games, but they're getting a lot of momentum in recruiting. And I, I don't think they'll keep up just stealing everyone from everywhere, but I think they can keep up a solid, I guess, top 50, uh, I guess, ceiling for recruiting, which can be good, but you know, they got to play the games on the field first. And I think they'll have, I've seen their schedule for next year. It's, um, not terribly uh what's the word i'm looking for you're being um, way too nice you're being way too nice it's terrible it's terrible, it's terrible. oh yeah it's <laughs> terrible so they'll probably see that i would assume that they'll have some kind of winning record this year it would be seen as a massive disappointment if they don't but i'm interested in how it affects long term you know they're gonna get i don't think they'll really steal a lot of Rutgers guys um but they'll definitely get some guys that you know maybe a pit or a boston college are going after and that can raise their floor and ceiling too so 
I don't think it'll affect Rutgers as much, but it could definitely shake up the Northeast in terms of how they're recruited. It's interesting too. It was reported uh, by multiple sites about Raynor Andrews was uh, on the visitor list for Syracuse last weekend. And then quickly he came out and said he was not visiting and, you know, he was expected to sign. So uh, obviously they were trying to get something going there and we're able to. So that's important. I think just in terms of a statement from Rutgers, being able to keep a guy in the class that Syracuse obviously targeted. So uh, yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see. I think it's good drama for the off season and all that, but uh, I will make the argument. I think you, well, we'll see if you agree or not, but I mean, if, if you're looking at recruiting impact from a coach going somewhere else, uh, Carl Hobbs taking Bain Adongo with him to Georgia Tech for me is a much bigger impact than anything Syracuse has remotely done so far. Yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, the one guy that they quote unquote took from Rutgers is Caden Brown, who was kind of a Rutgers lean all along, but yeah. it seemed like he had some things going on that just couldn't really commit just yet. But I mean, if he flo- if he flourishes at Syracuse, then great for him. It does seem like he's a good player, and it's unfortunate that they couldn't continue that kind of trajectory in New York to just take everyone. Um, but yeah, I-, I would agree with you there. You know, Bain Dongo is looking pretty good at Georgia Tech right now. I mean, they they crushed Duke, and he had a great game. I think he had a twenty point double double or something like that. So, you know, I, I think they- I think Syracuse has a chance to um, be that. I guess second. Uh, that that real like second team behind Rutgers in the Northeast, which it feels like they kind of need right now, the Northeast, um, because Boston College they had like one good year, and then they completely fell off a cliff. Pitt won the AC or almost won the ACC, and then they fell off a cliff. And so I think Syracuse can kind of get to that level. Yeah, that's a very good point. Uh, yeah, and I think the Caden Brown thing. I, I, I think that if they want to if they want to post that as a, as a W over Rutgers and recruiting, that's fine. But I think the context of it. Uh, you know, I think it was unlikely at this point he was going to end up at Rutgers, regardless of whether Fran Brown was at Syracuse or not. But let's transition into hoops. Uh, Rutgers, obviously, with a huge game coming up this Saturday, uh, coming off the Seton Hall win two weeks ago, uh, and then LIU this past week. Uh, now uh, seven and three going into uh, the pretty much the biggest non-conference game on their schedule, just from an analytics standpoint, ranking standpoint, Mississippi State, uh, you know, eight and two and, um, you know, going to be a quad one opponent on a neutral floor. Uh, I guess, what are your thoughts of this team in the last few games now that with Mawat Mag back uh, and just how they're kind of gelling on the court? Yeah, I think you put it well that in my opinion, it's kind of been like a tale of two seasons so far, even though we're only 12 games in. It's the pre-Mawat Mag and it's the with Mawat Mag, you know. Prior to Mawat Mag coming back, it was, you know, you could kind of, not really excuse, but you could kind of look at some of these performances that they had, particularly against Illinois and Wake Forest, thinking, all right, things will look better when they have Mawat Mag back, and, you know, hoping that he can come back to the form that he was at before he got injured. Um, and then there were definitely a lot of concerns, the fashion that they lost those games in. Um, now, Princeton, there was not as much concern because uh, it's turned out that that Princeton team might be one of the best uh, – mid majors in the country. Um, but Illinois and, and Wake Forest, just the demoralizing losses, the runs that they gave up just had to be fixed. The rebounding was atrocious, but it seems like Mawat Mag has just fixed that in a snap. You know, he came back against Seton Hall. It was in the starting lineup, provided instant energy um, and kind of propelled them to a win. Even though he only had four points, he still had eight rebounds. He did a really good job whenever he was in the game and matching up against Kadari Richmond. So, and then against LIU, you know, also providing some energy, had 11 points, a huge three, and another huge bucket down the stretch to really put that game away when people were th- starting to, you know, get a little bit restless about that game. So the energy that he's provided has been 
off the charts in the last two games. And it seems like Steve Peichel's kind of found his core starting rotation. He kind of likes to play around with things as the non-conference slate rolls on. But I really think Jermichael Davis as the starting point guard was a genius move. You know, he just, even as, even since the Princeton game, he's looked so much better in terms of his confidence, his handle, even his shot too. That was seen as a big weakness. But he's hitting pull-up threes and mid-ranges and transition and, and draining them. So those two guys have been the, the energy boost that this team needs the last two games. And it's definitely a tough test against Miss, Mississippi State. They're still without Tolu Smith, I believe. I think he's practicing but not ready to play yet. So that's a big loss for them. I think this is a winnable game based on how Rutgers has looked the past two weeks. They just got to be able to hit their threes. And they're going back to a building where they hit 50% of their shots on on 24 attempts. So – it seems like this is a winnable game for Rutgers. Yeah, great points. Uh, and I agree with you. I think with Davis, you know, it's, it's impressive that uh, he's showing poise, I think, beyond his years. And, you know, he's probably the, the fastest, quickest guy on the team. But he is now playing a lot more under control. I think that's helping him a lot in his decision making. Uh, and then you're right, Tolu Smith is still out. Uh, let's not hope it's a Wake Forest situation where he gets announced the night before, like Efton Reed did with Wake Forest. Uh, but certainly a winnable game, I think. And I agree with you on threes, I think. The one thing I don't like about these non-conference games against the low majors, even though the, uh, you know, rankings competition-wise has been better this year versus, you know, so many sub-300 teams, is that if they're going to win against high majors, if they're going to win against Big Ten teams, they have to hit the three. And, you know, they get away from that a little bit, even though they took 20 attempts against LIU. It's not the same intensity. It's not the same kind of, you know, uh, pace of game that they need to be uh, used to in terms of excelling against these uh, better teams. So, I'm curious to see how they do. Mississippi State's a very good defensive team as well. And, um, yeah, it's obviously a big game for them. Overall, I guess, uh, what are your thoughts with the Big Ten and how Rutgers looks to, to kind of fall in the, the mix within the conference going into, you know, just uh, January, full, full bore of the schedule? I think it's a bit of a shift in strategy going into the Big Ten slate because in the past it was, all right, we'll just make our way through the non-conference slate. Whatever happens, happens. But the Big Ten is where we'll get our wins, and that's how we stack up our resume. It's really not like that this year because the Big Ten has kind of looked like a disaster. Purdue is the power that everyone thought they would be coming back. Michigan State has been way up and way down. Um, some of the other teams, you know, some of the teams in the middle, uh, Maryland looks like a disaster. Indiana they can't shoot the three at all. They're not worse than Maryland, but they still can't shoot. Um, Minnesota isn't that good. Penn State's not that good. So the middle range of like four through 10, which was always one of the strongest parts of the conference, and that's where the teams always beat each other up and built up their own resumes and was a big reason why the Big Ten got so many teams in the tournament year in, year out, is not what it once was. So Rutgers is going to have to take advantage by getting a lot more wins than they maybe thought that they would need in the conference slate. Um, Illinois might be a top, 15 team in the country for the rest of the season. Terrence Shannon Jr. looks awesome. Marcus Domas looks amazing as well. Um, that's going to be a tough game to go back to Champaign and win in that one in a, in a tough environment. But yeah, they're going to have to stack up some wins against these teams that they are on the same level as slash maybe even better than um, in order to really try to solidify that resume because the Big Ten just is not as strong as it has been in previous years. And unfortunately, that might be to Rutgers' detriment. Great points there. And I think that's why... Mississippi State is so much so so important as well because that is a signature non-conference win. It would be a quad one win. It would be road neutral. You could be two and two road neutral games. Uh, have a quad one and a quad two win going into Big Ten play. And I agree. I don't think you know if you, even if you go nine and two in non-conference, ten and ten is just not going to be good enough in the Big Ten this year. I think you know at a minimum eleven, probably twelve to feel comfortable. 
if you win that Mississippi State game. So certainly an uphill climb. But as you said, I think, you know, things are starting to come together at the right time. Uh, wanted to transition to women's basketball. I haven't talked too much about them myself this season. I know you've covered them a lot and been to a lot of games. Uh, you know, has, has had I thought they've been competitive against some really good teams. Uh, Indiana, Princeton uh, had a tough game against Virginia Tech this past weekend, Final Four team from last year. They have dealt with some injuries as well uh, with Maya Petticord and uh, our Sidibay. What have you been your impressions of this team in Coquise Washington's second season so far? I think the biggest key for this team this season has been the first quarter when they've really fought hard in the fourth, in the first quarter against some of these top teams, you know, like Indiana, they, they were close after the first quarter Virginia tech. They were tied at the end of the first quarter. They were able to stick in the game. And while Virginia tech eventually pulled away because they went absolutely bonkers from three in the second and fourth quarters, you could tell that they were still fighting and staying in the game. Um, meanwhile, you know, you go up against Princeton and instantly, in the first quarter, things just don't go right. And that kind of sets the sets the stage for, you know, a, a non-competitive game. They made it competitive in the late or later on in the fourth quarter. They only fell by 11 points, which is much closer than many thought it would be after that first quarter. But True. yeah, it really has been that first quarter. That's really had to be the catalyst for how these games have gone so far. You know, even looking back at the Fairfield game, you know, a month and a, about a month ago, where they got absolutely blitzed in the first quarter. I think they went 8 of 14 from three, which is absolutely ridiculous. I had no idea what I was watching. And it's turned out that Fairfield's a pretty solid team. Last I checked, they were top 50 in the net. So getting blown out by them, by name value, is not great. But the way that they played, I mean, it was ridiculous. But um, this Big Ten slate's going to be tough. They have a winnable game up next on the 30th against Northwestern. So that's going to be big to get off on the right foot in the Big Ten. But it's just about those starts. Like they've been able to, in some of the games where they haven't turned the ball over and have been able to stay in games early against some of these top teams, they look like a they look like there's flashes of a really good team there. And granted, you know the roster isn't exactly where it it should be. Um, you know, right now you're kind of back down to eight rotation players. Um, Maya Pedicord's been day to day for about a few weeks now, so. I'm. I think we might see her against Northwestern, but I'm not 100 percent sure. Unfortunately, Awa Sidibe is out for the season. That's a huge loss. They could have really used her uh, defensively and in the flow of the offense, getting to the rim. But I've been impressed with the growth from China Cornwell. She she, lo- she already looked very good last year. She looks even better this year. Whether it's rebounding, getting down low, even you know moving with the ball. Um, Destiny Adams has been very good. The one thing that she has to fix is the aggressiveness. She kind of gets a little bit too aggressive on offense and defense. Got to fix the fouls. Uh, Antonia Bates looks like a completely different player from last year. You know, the shot's still going along, coming along a little bit, but she's improved in pretty much every other aspect, you know, becoming one of the team's best defenders. And she has the length and the athleticism to really become a disruptive defender. It seems like you now at least once a game, she has a huge blocker steal that, you know, sets up a big basket. So, you know, it's going to be interesting to see how they navigate this big 10 slate, especially if they get Pedicord back because, Thompson and Hurd are the two freshmen have looked pretty strong, especially given that they're true freshmen starting for a Big Ten team. Um, I was really impressed with how they responded in the two Las Vegas games. You know, I was out there. The environment was interesting. Uh, the arena was usually used for like equestrian or something like that. Um, but you know, there's a pretty good Rutgers contingent that traveled out there, and I thought they responded really well against two really good teams. You know, Texas Tech made the WNIT last year. They looked really good. They got a few really good guards. Boise State really strong down low. I thought China Cornwell as well as Cassandra Brown and Destiny Adams handled that pretty well. 
And I guess speaking of Cassandra Brown, she's really come along the last few games. She reached that that, that thousand point mark for her career in her fifth season of college basketball. And it seems like since then her, her confidence has skyrocketed. I mean, she's been getting big minutes as well and really handling them well. Um, and Coquies Washington has said, you know, whoever's the hot hand, I'm going to play them. And we've seen Cassandra Brown and China Cornwall share the floor at the same time. So I really think Rutgers has an advantage down low in some of these big 10 games. And I'm interested to see how they navigate that slate, especially as they get more healthy and bringing Maya Pettacord back hopefully soon. Yeah, great points there. Turnovers have definitely been an issue for this team and lacking a true point guard. Pettacore would be a huge boost for them. Uh, I think it would help Kaylin Smichael as well, just in terms of, uh, you know, penetrators helping to create offense for her rather than be so reliant, you know, and going one-on-one and ISO uh, in her game. Uh, and then also just in terms of the depth, you're right. I mean, I think it's admirable that Kokris Washington has been so selective and has not just added players to add players, but all of a sudden, you know, the roster is pretty thin depth wise uh, and we're not even in big 10 play yet. So definitely concerned, but you're right. I think player development wise, you're seeing signs of this staff being able to make their players better. And, and I think still, Regardless, I thought 500 was a reasonable goal for this team. They're six and eight right now, uh, so they have an upward battle uh, there. But I think that the uh, overall long-term trajectory of this program is still on the up. Yeah, I definitely agree. And you know, there's definitely some recruiting battles that they they should win too. You know, Zakara Perkins looks very strong. Coquies Washington, after she signed, kind of compared her to an Antonia Bates type with the you know the length, the athleticism, the toughness. So that that would be a big boost next year. Uh, Kiyomi McMiller, also one of the one of the local uh, one of the local uh, ish players, she makes her decision on January sixth, I believe. Rutgers is in her top seven, um, so that would be a huge win on the recruiting trail. She's a five star; that would be absolutely massive. Um, things have kind of slowed down with Michaela Blake's the five star from Rutgers prep. It seems like not really sure when she'll decide yet, but you know Rutgers should still be in. I mean, she's she's local, obviously Rutgers prep. That would be a big recruiting point. Antonia Bates went there, so. You know, being able to get some of these wins on the recruiting trail, and they got to work the transfer portal again next year. So there's definitely work to be done, but it seems like there's somewhat of an upward trajectory. There's flashes, but they have to build on those flashes and keep building out this roster because the Big Ten is a tough league, and it doesn't seem like it'll be getting any easier. Even if Caitlin Clark leaves, there's always a new team that's going to pop up. And speaking of which, that game on January 5th, it's already sold out. That is going to be the, – the Jersey Mike's Arena is going to be completely alive all 40 minutes whether Rutgers wins or loses that game, I mean, that's going to be a great environment. I know I'll be there for sure, so I'm definitely excited for that too. But, yeah, just got to keep building on some of these flashes that we're seeing already. All right. We wanted to ask you a couple more uh, non-sports-related questions in terms of a team, but uh, you've been in the Riot Squad a long time. You've been a visible member of the Riot Squad, uh, in that, especially at basketball games. And uh, wearing your is – is that a Christmas blazer or just a red blazer? It, it is a Christmas blazer. Yeah, I, I actually have the full suit. I got the tie and the well, the pants have kind of a the pants are in need of some uh, some some sewing fixes. But you know, we'll, we'll get that. <laughs> yeah, I definitely I use at least one or one or two pictures of you uh, in some of my uh, past articles at the Scarlet Faithful. But wanted to ask, I guess, what what are some of your most memorable moments as a, a student uh, in the Riot Squad at uh, games in your you know Rutgers tenure so far? Um, I think the first one that comes to mind is the Indiana game last year, uh, where, you know, it was the a highly touted matchup against the 10th ranked team in the country, you know, playing a top 10 team, you beat them by 15 as an unranked team, usually want to storm the court, but the entire vibe was like, we're supposed to win this game. You know, this isn't anything new. 
uh, for Rutgers, you know, beating up on Indiana, even if they're a top 10 team in the country. So that was a complete blast. Um, the football season this year was also a blast, just seeing the way that they've progressed throughout the year. Uh, probably the highlight was going out to Indiana. That was a ton of fun. Um, thank you to everyone who supported us during while we were fundraising for that. It was a complete blast. You know, we drove 12 hours there and back. It was, it was a crazy weekend, but I wouldn't have had it any other way. That was, I mean, that was a ton of fun. Um, I definitely do not regret it. We might go out to Ohio state too. No, maybe uh, a little bit of an inside ride squad information, you know, maybe a smaller group, but maybe we'll see. Um, I guess some no of the classes, other, oh, right. Like winter break. Yeah. During winter break, that game's on the third. So we won't have to worry about that. Also nice. Penn state trip for basketball last year. That was a, that was a ton of fun. We got a group together. We went out there. We had a whole section. I'm pretty sure we were heard over the broadcast whenever something big would happen for Rutgers. And, it was during, you know, kind of a downturn for the basketball team. But for for a few minutes, it really seemed like, you know, this team was destined to make some kind of run somewhere. Just the way that they came back from that 19-point deficit and silenced that building, I mean, that was there, – there, there was almost no top in that. All right, last question for you. I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit. Your senior year, if one thing can happen the rest of this year, Rutgers sports-wise, what do you hope that it will be? This is tough. Um, I mean, for the rest of the year, honestly, I would probably say uh, some one of the basketball teams making a deep tournament run. That would be probably my favorite thing that would happen because both these teams, you know, I've been watching for a long time, covering them this year and in years past too. And, you know, just seeing what goes on day in, day out with the growth of each program, you know, even a, a transition year like the men's team is having this year, just one of those teams going on a deep run would really be awesome to see for me personally, selfishly, as I, you know, go out on a high note, but just seeing, you know, some of those, some of the, some of the developments throughout the season, just seeing that be able to pay off on a kind of national stage. Now, as of right now, don't know how likely either one would be, but I mean, that would be my, my dream scenario. Love the answer and uh, appreciate all your great insight. You're everywhere. I'm coining the phrase now. You're the Swiss army knife of Rutgers sports coverage and uh, you do an amazing job everywhere you're at. Why don't you just let everybody know where they can find you on social media and uh, you know, your podcast and all that. Uh, yeah. So on Twitter, that's probably where I'm most active Rutgers wise. It's uh, at Alex CR one, two. Um, and then there you can find pretty much everything I do. I got both the podcast, uh, Twitter accounts plugged in there as well. So if you want to check those out, football and basketball, um, if you want to follow me on Instagram too, just cause why not? It's Alec.CrowdHimmel. So, you know, be sure to, you know, do that if you want to, it, it's, it's more so me personally than, than sports, you know, but you know, just, just, just try to, you know, plug it. Cause why not? Well, Alec, it was great talking about Rutgers sports. I appreciate all your coverage and uh, definitely have you on again. And uh, hopefully your senior year is much better than mine was many years ago where nobody went to the postseason. Football won one game and, uh, you know, Rutgers fell well short of March Madness in terms of men's basketball. So I hope you have a lot more uh, positive memories to go out uh, in your last year and uh, keep up the great work. Yeah, thanks so much for having me and uh, let's hope for a good closeout. And thank you for listening and watching the Scarlet Faithful podcast once again.